This November, when we go to the polls, no, in this election and every election, it's about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. Welcome to Manny's Live! Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Manny Yakutiel, and I have the distinct honor and pleasure to own Manny's, a civic social gathering space here on the corner of 16th and Valencia. Manny's is a place where people have been coming for a little under two years to get involved, get engaged, and become more a part of political and civic life. We have moved to doing this incredible talk show called Manny's Live, and we're really excited to have you here tonight. I just want to take a second before we start tonight's show to acknowledge the land that we are on. This is Ohlone land, and we, would, we, wanted to, we want to acknowledge the traditional stewards of this land, the Ohlone people, and also wanted to say happy pride to all of you. If you're planning on celebrating, please celebrate safely <laughs> with a mask six feet away from all of the people that you do not know. Uh, and tonight's episode of Manny's Live is in honor and in memoriam of Harry Britt, the former supervisor who passed this week, who gave so much to our city and our queer public life. So without further ado, we have a little clip about what tonight's conversation is going to be about. Queer bars all over the country were closing before this damn pandemic. And now, mama, the future isn't clear. Where's all this going? How will the queer community gather in the coming years? Will there be a renaissance of the gay bar? What will the physicality of queer space of the future look like? Two denizens of the queer nightlife world, Honey Mahogany and Grace Towers, are coming to Manny's to discuss these questions and more. It's going to be a free-flowing sit-down, maybe a planning session, as both of these queens find themselves in the midst of gathering people together using the digital world and all of its accoutrements. All right, so tonight's conversation is about the future of queer gathering spaces, and I am so honored and excited to welcome our two guests tonight, Honey Mahogany and Grace Towers. Um, welcome, both of you incredible people. Thank you for coming tonight. How are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm okay. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I'm hanging in there. I'm doing all right today. Today's a good day. Today is a good day. Yeah. It's Thursday. It's the weekend of Pride. It uh, is. Fun Pride, blah, Pride plans. What are you guys going to do this weekend? What's the weekend of Pride in San Francisco? Pride's right. been happening, like, you know, it's right. been happening. <laughs> yeah. My, um, I only said that because it's so relevant. My hometown, Santa Maria, just had their, I think, second uh, Pride this last weekend. I was there for their first one two years ago and uh, just kind of processing being in uh, the beginning stages of having a Pride and then having yeah. this happen right now. Santa Maria? Where is Santa Maria? Uh, Central Coast, uh, right between San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara. And it's the second time they've ever had Pride or the second Pride yes. this year? Yes. Oh, ever Pride. Amazing. It's Small incredible. town. Wow. And honey, I bet you've got a packed schedule this weekend. Uh, don't ask me because I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you need a social secretary for all the things that you do. I need, yeah, I need more than that. But um, I do know that my on Friday I am going to be doing hosting the T4T party. I'm doing a couple um, different talks before then during the day. And then the big thing that I'm doing this weekend is um, hosting the Pride celebration that's going to be online with Sister Roma. Nice. Amazing. So before we get further into the conversation, 
information about the future of queer gathering spaces, there are probably two or three people left in the world who don't know who you are. And so I thought it might be good to kind of, there's ways that you can introduce yourself. I mean, there's all the different things that you do and all the things you're involved in. But I think appropriate for tonight's conversation, can you tell us about um, kind of your space history? Meaning, what are the spaces that you represent in this room? Uh, and the spaces that you um, can proceed forward with in this conversation. Kind of what is, what spaces are you associated with? Queer spaces, I guess. I mean, I guess for me, the spaces that I am most associated with are obvi maybe obviously the stud yeah. and uh, Soma South of Market feels very much like home to me, but I will say that my spiritual home is really in the Tenderloin um, it's a place that I have grown up frequenting and being a part of the community there, both as a drag queen and as a human being, and worked there for a very long time, and now I've helped to found the Compton's Transgender Cultural District. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. I keep dead naming the district. That's okay. It is now just the Transgender District SF. The Transgender District they SF. They have changed their Compton's name. Compton's no more. Compton's no more. So the stud, um, Soma, the Tenderloin, the Transgender District uh, in that area. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. What about you, Grace? Um, as far as my journey, I mean, I've been here, I think it's going to be eight years, and it's been a whirlwind of, you know, the privilege of being able to perform, be a patron at, and also curate experiences at the different, um, at many of the different spaces in San Francisco. I mean, I've done a really beautiful run of a weekly drag show in the historic Castro District at Moby Dick Bar that yes. is no longer happening. Um, but we did a five-year run of that. I did a four-year run of a party called Bulge that was a really fun party at Powerhouse. Um, I, Butch Queen, which is a fun pageant that I do, started at the stud, um, then moved to Empire Room, stayed at Oasis, and then last year, most recently, was at the Victoria Theater with the Sold Out House, which I'm super, Grateful I was to have. I was um, there. It was amazing. Um, my first performance was at the Edge when Cookie Dough was still with us. Um, yeah, I have a really. I still. I do a lot of outdoor um, queer campouts, queer and trans campouts, arts-focused stuff that I do with a, a community uh, named Groundswell up in the Mendocino area as well. So, as far as like a home or a hub, I would say it's very. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really do appreciate being a bit of a hummingbird in that sense. Yeah. God, I'm, this is, you are the two perfect people to have this conversation with because you have such a broad, um, like, breadth of connection to queer spaces and a deep history of those spaces. And you've seen, I mean, the amount of people that you've seen occupy and live in queer spaces is probably in the tens of thousands. So I'm, I feel really blessed that I get to have this important, pertinent conversation with the two of you. Thank you. Thanks for hosting it. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. So, okay. And also, for those of you who are tuning in, we want you to be involved in this as well. So I'm going to be asking some questions. Um, and if you have answers, I want you to type them in the comments. This is being streamed on YouTube Live, if you don't like Facebook, which I totally understand, or Facebook Live. So if you're on YouTube Live or Facebook Live, you can type it in the comments. And I'm going to ask them these questions, and you can answer them too. So the first question is, okay, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I want you to tell me about the first memory you have in a queer space. Where was it? What happened? What was going on? And what is that memory like? And maybe while you're thinking, mm. I can just say what the first one that comes to my mind. So I grew up Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox to some 
in some respects. I went to Yeshiva, which is an Orthodox Jewish day school, and I remember the first time I ever went into a queer space was I was 15 and a half, and I had just gotten my permit in LA, and I wasn't even supposed to drive without an adult, and I drove to West Hollywood, to Santa Monica Boulevard, and I was obviously way too young to go to a bar or a club, and so I went to a different light bookstore which was a gay bookstore, queer bookstore on Santa Monica, and I went inside and I perused the books for the first time. And I had the courage to buy a book, I read it in my car, I you know, flitted through it, and then I was too afraid to bring it home, so I threw it away in the trash can um, on the way home from Santa Monica Boulevard. And that was the first queer space I went to, and I remember being so scared. I, was, I could feel my heart pounding in my stomach, and I was sick, I felt nauseous just walking into a queer space because it was like walking over a threshold. And once I did it, it meant I was admitting something, you know? Uh, so that was my first mm -hmm. memory. Go ahead. Oh, you? sorry. I, yeah, I mean, I, like, for me, it wasn't a specific place, I think, but I do remember, I grew up in San Francisco, so I've been, I think, in, within proximity to a lot of gay greatness growing up, but also grew up on the West Side. And so, which is, feels very isolated from that. I mean, even now I think is still kind of isolated, but back in the 80s, I think it was much more so. Um, and I remember though, when I was in high school, at some point I went with my friends and we took the bus to the Castro and went to the Castro Theater. I mean, went by, we didn't go in and like walked around in some of the stores and that, and I remember having to, and buying a cookie at Hot Cookie and... Um, <laughs> did you get the penis cookie? No, I did not get the penis okay. cookie. I got a chocolate chip cookie, but um, I definitely looked at the penis cookies. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I actually also remember that um, even though I didn't tell my parents that I was going, that I definitely got caught because I made a debit card withdrawal from the station there. And because there was a, you know, a, lots of ATM machines in the Castro for obvious reasons. Um, and so then my parents found out that I had gone there, which, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was just like, I was kind of scared because it was my first time doing anything queer. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't ready to like come out yet. So it was, how old were you? That's a good question. I think I must have been, uh, like 13 or 14, yeah. something around that age. And also for those tuning in, what was your first queer space that you ever went into? What was the first queer space you went into and what was the effect like on you and what did it feel like? All right, Grace. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, I don't remember the name specifically, um, but there was a, a, a place in San Luis Obispo that I had heard about when I was in high school. When I, w I grew up going to Santa Maria High School, um, small town, super conservative, Latino, mi, mi, mis papás hablan español, no entendían lo que era ser homosexual, mucho menos lo que es ser gay. Y, I had heard about this place, and it was um, a, a dance club in San Luis Obispo that uh, was known for students going to have like a Wednesday night dance party. Um, I snuck out, did not have the courage to leave the car and go inside. <gasps> There's a lot of shame, and even as I'm saying that, it's just like so resonant. Yeah. Yeah. So you stayed in the car. I stayed in the car, and How then long? Um, I, I mean. I, I ended up sneaking out really late so I wouldn't get caught. My friends, I wasn't driving. I was there with a friend and I stayed in the car. And you came and you went back home? Yeah. Hmm. You didn't get any action before no, you left? Nothing. Nothing. 
I was I was holding holding on. Yeah, holding on. saving it for later. <laughs> it's it's so interesting thinking back to those first experiences and how they may or may not have affected us, and also what they say about who we were in those times. Absolutely. So I want to talk about history for a little bit. So how do you two think about the evolution of queer spaces from? Let's just stop at pre-pandemic. So when you think about the history of queer spaces, I'm not asking you for the history of them. That's a whole nother conversation. But how do you think about it? Like when you think of the history of queer spaces in our society, what words come to mind? And what, what is, how does that resonate for you? Like what is that association, the evolution of queer spaces in our community and in our society? Freedom, liberation, expression, um, chosen family. Chosen family. Um, exploration. Mm. Struggle. Mm. Why, strug why struggle? Because I think a lot of the um, intergenerational conversations that happen, I hear a lot about how there was a lot of struggle yeah. that I don't think we're necessarily as privy to or just yeah. don't 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 take in as a struggle perhaps yeah i think of the piers in new york where people were kind of yeah, you know in the docks go. and hiding and, and having a good time but at any moment the police could come and you know break it up arrest them paddy wagons yeah and i love hearing those stories because some of the friends that are that are telling me these stories specifically about the piers for example is this um desire for acceptance and at the same time this desire to be on the fringe and this mm -hmm. you know I, I i love this subversive community that is also very present in queer spaces or that conversation mm. um i think words that come to me are things like family um, yeah. and feeling safe and having a safe space but also to me i think queer spaces especially are so creative and mm -hmm. um, so revolutionary in a lot of ways and push the boundaries um, and are, um, are also very rich, um, not, not necessarily in money, but definitely in culture and history. Um, one of the first buildings that I ever saw or, you know, uh, queer buildings that I ever saw was actually the stud. Because mm. um, again, I grew up in San Francisco and the stud is located right on or was located right That's, on the corner of 9th and Harrison. Uh, oh my god. Right off, I know. You just used the past tense I for the know. Stuff. Well, you know, the, there will be a future home, <laughs> but not at 9th and Harrison. My heart. I know. It's okay. Yeah. So, 9th and Harrison driving off the anytime you would go downtown or if you were going on your way to the bridge, you would have to pass by there cuz the freeway entrance is right there or the exit it's like yeah. all right there mm -hmm, yeah. and so i remember like seeing it and seeing this big rainbow flag like not even like just being like oh that is a gay space and that being really powerful and scary at the time um so i think it can also like sometimes queer spaces especially when you're first coming out can be scary absolutely and intimidating absolutely and kind of coming back to this concept of a safe space I have a hard time with that vocabulary, but I do resonate with the safety that I did feel in queer spaces. Um, and it also just brought me back to like coming back and when I first moved to San Francisco and putting on some music in my, in my earbuds and walking down and seeing that flag in the Castro just like bringing me to tears and for me to feel as fabulous as safe walking down the street where I didn't necessarily always feel that way. And you know, queer spaces being not just like a bar or a venue, but like 
a community, a street that I could walk on. You know, it's so funny. There's this dichotomy of like, you know, safe space and family, and also, um, you know, these are tough spaces. And I, I wasn't actually, I wasn't sure I'd, I'd share this, but you know, for me, my first queer spaces were really dangerous for me too. And you hear a lot about young people venturing out for the first time into queer spaces and being taken advantage of and being, um, and there'd be really dangerous spaces, you know, and the first time I ever had a gay experience, I was picked, I was 15, I was picked up by this 33 year old who then blackmailed me for six months and knew that I was closeted, knew that my parents didn't know that I was Jewish, he was part of the Orthodox community. Mm. And he knew that if he threatened to tell my family, I would do whatever he wanted. And that was my first experience mm. with male-male intimacy. Sorry. And unfortunately for so many people, that's so common. Um, and we talk about family, of course, and we're going to get to this, but who's occupying these spaces now and how much family is actually being created? And I guess I want to take this to right before the pandemic. All those things you were mentioning, revolutionary, creativity, chosen family, safety. Do you feel like queer gathering spaces were ex exemplifying or, or, or exhibiting those things still, you know, in the, if you could put yourself in your shoes right before COVID, was that happening? Was that still there? Was that fire still burning? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely uh, a complicated, well, not a complicated question, but, a, but definitely something that I think we continue to grapple with because what is a safe space? Yeah. I mean, going back to your earlier point, like who, who is it safe for? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like when we talk about, um, like I, when we founded the Stud Collective, we very intentionally centered conversations around trans people, women, and people of color feeling safe in our space and the measures that we wanted to take to ensure that and then go beyond that to not just make people feel safe, but also celebrate them and prioritize them. Um, but I, and not to say that the stud is the only one, you know, bar that has done that. I think that there are many other bars that, or gay or queer spaces that have also done that similarly. But, you know, you ha in order to do that, you have to have a lot of really hard conversations. So like, what yes. does it mean to be a trans ally? What does it mean to be, um, uh, you know, what does Black Lives Matter really mean to you? You know, like, as a pro-Palestinian person, what does that mean to me? And how do I exemplify my allyship in, uh, with that community? Like, these are all questions that come up and oftentimes are never resolved and something that needs to be continually worked on. Um, you know, one of the things, and this relates back to the point you were making earlier about what are queer spaces to you, is like the richness of the history of those spaces because I think that we are finding ourselves in such a important time in history at a, such a pivotal moment where there's this full mention of civil unrest and um, resistance to oppression. But like this has happened before, mm -hmm. especially like the 60s is what was happening then is almost identical to what is happening now mm -hmm. in in the way that we're seeing all these uprisings and these pushing back against all these atrocities against humanity and all of this oppression um huey newton at that time was a black panther who you know was the black panthers were very much about creating a, you know a safe space for for black people and I, I think Huey Newton was really pushing to expand on what that meant, what that allyship meant, expanding it to include feminism and the women's movement, expanding it to include LGBTQ people. And uh, linking it back to space, um, I was having a conversation with Susan Stryker about the intersectionality of the movement in the 60s and how that's being replicated now. And she mentioned Huey Newton and his speech that he gave. 
And as a result of that speech and, um, that he gave, the Black Panthers and the LGBT liberation movement, the gay liberation movement, actually got together. And yeah. one of the first places that they met was actually at the stud. No. Yeah. Wow. According to Susan, that was the that first place powerful. that they met. Yeah. That's powerful. And you said you see you you, because I you know I've watched you and I've wa and I've been in your spaces in awe. And so you've you felt that fire burning before the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I think that fire burning, coming back to the words that we spoke out into the room, I think those are things that are, that I feel as, 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 um, as a producer, as a curator, as somebody who organizes, but I also get that reciprocated from the folks that are coming to my experiences, that, that this is why they believe in what, you know, what we're, what we're cultivating. Um, because it does feel inclusive or because it does feel resonant with their experience as a POC person or that they feel like it's great porque hablo español, me entienden un poco más, you know, less, uh, there's resonating, um, there's things that people resonate with that were, were uh, a part of that, those words, the res whether it be inclusivity, whether it be diversity, whether it be creative expression. I mean, right. yeah, I was right. definitely feeling those things. So I want to get to today if we can, because this is about the future of queer gathering spaces, but of course we need to couch it in the past a little bit and at least mention the present, though the present is a little tough to talk about, but we have to. Both of you have continued to organize your spaces in the pandemic and post, and you've lost your physical spaces, either before the pandemic or during it. So how do you think the pandemic has affected the way queer people are gathering right now? Well, I think in the obvious way, well, some of it was already happening. I mean, I think we have been moving towards a more digital form of interaction and communication for a long time. I mean, through things like Instagram and Facebook and Grindr and Grindr, all, apps. Yeah, yeah. all these apps. Um, and even before, uh, I think, uh, digital drag shows really took off. I mean, even RuPaul's Drag Race, in a sense, was sort of like a digital way of having that experience of a drag show and... And you um, were on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Did it feel like you were connecting with... <laughs> for those of you who don't know, mention... No shade. Do you feel like you were connecting with people uh, as a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you feel like you were creating queer gatherings still when you were on the show? Uh, was I creating... Oh, you mean, well, the show... I mean, the show is kind of an incredible phenomenon. I mean, it's really been such a boon for the drag community. I mean, obviously there are negatives, but it overall has been so positive in bringing drag to the forefront in a way that it hasn't been for, dec you know, at least two decades. Um, it, 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 it empowered um, and prioritized a, a segment of our community that was often spit on and downtrodden and swept under the rug. So in that way, I felt very connected to the movement, whether I think the show itself it's hard as a performer, I think, to create some sort of media like that and then feel connected in the way that we do in live mm. stage audiences. Mm. But, the sh but what I will mm. say is that the relationship that is created with your fans who watch the show, that is all, a lot of it is digital, that right. is also really powerful. Like Instagram comments, mm -hmm. Facebook comments. Comments and messages. Messages. And, and, like, and it translates often then to real life experiences. So, and I think that for me, when I think about how drag has been digitalized and queer spaces have been digitalized, there is this, you know, there's a little bit of a fear that um, uh, 
that will become the norm and then when we even when we have the opportunity to engage in these real life spaces that they will not be as successful and what does that mean for right. like physical queer spaces but yeah. what now that I'm thinking about it and having this conversation I'm actually thinking about how even though we had RuPaul's Drag Race that didn't prevent the live events that we did from selling out and right. for there the being live lines around shows. the block. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it doesn't, I don't think it has to be an either or. I definitely think that we are finding ways to complement and support and, you know, boost drag and community. What do you think, Grace? Yeah, I'm curious to what you just said, like, oh, I, I mean, did it prepare you? One of the things that's been so challenging for me about being in this present state of talking to a monitor, which is quite lovely that I'm talking to two people and not just to my computer. <laughs> Thank you for yes. being here. A real human. And for everybody to know, we are sitting six feet apart. Yes, we There's are. There's a little bit of digital magic happening, yeah. but we're all six feet apart from each other. This feels yeah. so amazing. It's yeah. just, I'm not just talking into my phone or into my screen, but that's been challenging. It's been challenging to, as a host, it, I am a very, what I would say, um, extroverted because I've learned it. I'm totally introverted. I love being in my own head, making things, creating things. When I came into the opportunity of being on stage to host more than it is to perform, it's a totally learned experience for me. Mm -hmm. So same. So being in that space where you have to relearn uh, uh, engagement, right? There's this, there's so much that feeds what is being said, how it's being said. Um, there's there's. I'm super interactive, you know, even in the way that I'm hosting virtually now, I'll still do a one by one check in with everybody who's on the on the call or on yeah. the Zoom. Um, it's been challenging. Yeah, yeah, it's super challenging, that learning curve. And, and let alone, you know, like you have an amazing team here. I genuinely thought, genuinely did think that I was going to be the one to be like hosting, checking in people, making sure that all the, the like, yeah, I thought I was going to be able to do it all. But it takes so the learning curve of digital streaming is yeah. Not an easy one either. And I mean, you guys are not the, the typical queer person in that you have tens of thousands of people that, you know, technically are your communities online with your pages and your Instagram and your... Do you feel like you actually are creating community with those... I don't know, I think you... Collectively, you probably have about 60,000 people that follow you. Do you feel like that's an actual community that you have? That you're, and you're creating gathering within them? I think that there is a community for sure. I mean, especially when you're talking about um, a specific, like, is everyone that follows me on Instagram the me a member of a single community? No, but I think that many of those people are in groups of communities like RuPaul's Drag Race fans, um, people in black trans activist organizations, people in nightlife or bar, like bar owners, you know what I mean? Like, so there are communities within yeah. those followers. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would also, I would agree with that and also want to mention that this virtual experience has expanded what I think some of the experiences would what some of these experiences would reach otherwise. You know, I, I love being able to do a Wednesday show and have people say like, oh, hey, checking in from Salt Lake City or hey, checking in from San Diego mm. or hey, checking in from Spain. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's four o'clock here. Thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in a way, it's that's almost, been another layer of yeah. creating community that I absolutely do feel. I mean, it's serving. Yes. OK, so oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say this is going back to what Grace was talking about earlier, but um, it's so interesting to me to hear you talk about being very introverted normally and like having to learn all of that for the stage and because I feel the very, very much the same way. Mm -hmm. And then it occurred to me that like I've actually had several of these conversations <laughs> with other drag queens and 
all of them are Capricorns and all of them That's produce, right? right? And all of That's them right. produce their own shows. So when I'm thinking, I'm like talking about like, you know, Grace, myself, like Vivian Bibi. Forevermore, Sister Roma, like all of these people. Suppository. Suppository spelling. Um, there's Our so Capricorn. many of them, yeah. all Capricorns, Ginger Snap. Uh -huh. um, there's so many Capricorn drag queens. And when I've checked in with every, all of them, they're all like, I'm actually fine being alone. I'm like totally, totally. okay. But it's like, you know, they're, yeah. Amazing. I should just mention, if you have questions for our um, hosts, um, you can write them in. Uh, you can type them in the comments and the questions we brought to me to ask them. So if you have questions, it looks like we have a question, actually. Before we get into the future of Queer Gathering, we have our first question from the audience. We're trying this out. Jupiter Peraza, our events manager, I just burped. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, from Natalie Summers on Facebook. Speaking of creating community, right, we're trying to do it right here, right now. Natalie, it's like you're right here with us. <laughs> I'm interested to see how hands-off investors can be involved in supporting queer community spaces. When will there be an investment fund to support LGBTQ spaces in San Francisco? So investors actually getting money in. Okay, cool. We'll talk. Let's let's answer that question, then we'll get into the future. I guess it's part of the future conversations. But do you feel like that's something that needs to happen? And I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I okay, so. Two things. One is like there's definitely a difference between you know investment and then getting a return on that investment versus like what the amazing you know queer nightlife fund what they're doing and yeah. that's an opportunity to give and you don't necessarily get any money back but you help to keep the space open. Right. I can talk about my experience from the stud in that we um, you know we individually did not have the, the collective funds to purchase the business from the previous owner but together we were able to you know finance it and take over the business. And our business model was really not based on making money, especially because our rent was sort of going up every year. Um, we just were trying to like, A, like survive as a new business, and then also continue to provide the type of programming that brought our community together and provide that space that people really needed and wanted and that we wanted to be a part of. Mm. Um, so it was not, we were doing fine financially, we were not, but we were not making a ton of money. And so I, I just wonder, uh, there must be some bars in San Francisco, some queer bars that are making a ton of money, but I just don't know with the current rates of rent Rents. and with all of the costs that go into it, that if you want to create a really cool space that is also affordable and accessible, like right. is that something that is people can really invest in right. and expect a return? Right. That's one of the things that comes to mind is just the, the exchange, you know, like what is it that in some ways you'd be handing over if that's what they wanted. Right. Um, and also, yeah, that's a great idea, whoever yeah. had sent that. Yeah, Natalie Summers, it's a great idea. And if anyone's watching that is a hands-off investor that wants to create space, we have two people here who maybe slash are, if I can convince them by the end of this, <laughs> definitely will be accepting investment <laughs> to build their spaces. So reach out to me and we'll <laughs> make that happen. Okay, let's go to the future. Before we get into the ideas for the future of Queer Gathering, I want another eyes closed moment. And for those who are watching YouTube, Tell me about a memory that you have of a queer gathering space at its best. I'm talking like, you're like, this is exactly what I want out of a queer gathering space. This moment, this place, this, this feeling, this smell, this here right here is the peak of what a queer gathering space can and should be. What is that memory? What is that place and what was happening there? For me, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say the stud because I'm just going to take that off the table. But I will, what I will say is that 
summer camp at Guerneville for me is that time and space that is just absolutely magical and I've never had a bad experience. And it's just what it is. It's just like, it's this experience of laying your burdens down, as Mr. David likes to say, um, mm -hmm. and feeling like you're, you're lighting your loafers and that you are there to just have a good time and you don't have to think about anything else. Okay, for people who don't know, what is Summer Camp in Guerneville? So Summer Camp is a party that's produced by um, David Glamamore, uh, Micah Sigourney, and Kevin Hoskins, I believe. Those are the three main producers of the mm -hmm. event. Happens at a place um, uh, called, oh my God, why am I blanking? R3? Yeah, the R3. It's yeah. because they changed their name so many times. Oh, they did? Is it not Triple R? It's Triple R, R3, oh. Yeah. Oh. the oh. Same Russian thing. River Resort. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I, I'm not, I think it's R3 now. Yeah. Um, but they, That's yeah, right. it's, it's they a huge. Like yeah. <laughs> Which one? So Jennifer. <laughs> no, yeah. But they're they're incredible. The staff there is, I mean, it's I think I believe it's queer owned and operated, and I the staff right. is mostly queer and super super amazing and friendly. And it's an enclosed area, and people just you know we have the best time. Yeah. And it's all night, as late as you want it to be, yeah. and all things sorts of things happen. Yeah. So. Fabulous. Yeah. Summer camp in Greenville. Have you never been? Oh, I've been. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> what came to mind for you, Grace? You know, what's really beautiful and I want to acknowledge is that I was Rolodexing. There was no one moment. There was a couple, a few. And that was really beautiful. Um, I am a mover. Like, I feel in my body in a way that I can't put into words, I can't put into writing, I can't put in, it's just, I love dancing, I love moving, I love being outside, I love having space, I love being next to people. Um, I remember being at the stud for some really beautiful full release moments of pure bliss on the dance floor. Um, the stud was my first job. I worked at, at working the door for something when I first moved here and Sometimes I'd get like a 10 minute pee break or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sneak into the dance floor. Yeah. This was before our moment. time. This yeah. was before the stud collective. Yeah. Just, yeah. We gave our people pee breaks. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I would just like take a longer break. Mm -hmm. Go, go to the day break, but you couldn't find Grace. Where's Grace? Uh, Where? No one's at the door. Uh, I, I love, on the dance floor. I love um, what, what we do up at Groundswell. It's 200 acres of beauty yeah. and um, oh, yeah. just pure, pure um, bliss, pure joy, pure like kid mm. energy of like mm. not worrying about judgment, not mm. worrying about shame, not worrying about, it's such a beautiful release. Mm. Um, I love what we do with performance, like Butch Queen at the Victoria this past year was a moment that I will hold near and dear for until I just can't, mm -hmm. you know, I, I appreciate that. Um, Fairy Freedom Village, which happens um, out at the Civic Plaza during Pride, on Pride weekend, Saturday and Sunday, what would be uh, this weekend, super beautiful moments as well. Yeah, I remember I had, it was the first conversation I had with my ex-boyfriend after we had broken up. And we had lunch, and it was, it was a toughie. It was a toughie conversation. He told me he was with someone else. And my ex-roommate and best friend, Rob, could tell that I needed a little lovin'. And it was, it was Sunday at 1 o'clock. 
And he said, what are you doing later? And I said, I don't know. He said, it's Swagger at El Rio. Yes. And I was like, okay, mm. batten down the hatches. Like, let's do this. And we, he came over and I put on this white, skin-tight dress and had this giant hat. And I went out with my two roommates and we danced so hard at the El Rio. And you know that moment during Swagger at El Rio when it's like five o'clock and it finally is super packed and everyone's had their Palomas and everyone <laughs> just starts dancing with each other. No yes. one's in hoops anymore. No one, whoever they came with, it's done. And it doesn't matter because it's just one big family. Mm -hmm. And it's all sorts of people too. And it felt like collective healing. It really did. It felt like everyone, even though no one knew what had just happened to me, it didn't matter. Everyone was healing each other through music, through family. It was really beautiful. And that was my high point. Yeah, it's a beautiful ritual. Yeah. It really is. So let's go dark before we go to the future. Let, let's talk about where, yeah, take a, take a drink. Maybe this might be the, this might be the moment. Where, what's a memory of a time where you were in a queer gathering space and it fell short? And it really didn't, it really actually did the opposite thing. Where instead of building us up, it broke us down. And it broke you down. And it really disappointed you. Hmm. I know those memories are in there. We block them out. Yeah. I think, OK, so maybe you while start. you're thinking, I'm not gonna name the bar, but there's a bar that I would go to from time to time, and I would leave feeling ugly. Hmm. Like I would go in and be like, I'm gonna get someone. You know, this is my night, I'm looking good, I'm gonna put my shirt on, I'm gonna hike my, I'm gonna wear something. And I, and I would feel less, I would, from the way that I interacted with people, the way people looked at me, my mannerisms. I remember like with my, my roommate and I being like, let's, let's dress differently because that's the way we should dress at this bar to get guys to like me. And I felt like I wasn't being myself at all. Mm -hmm. Like the whole point of going to this bar is to be me. And I felt like I was trying hard to fit into a certain mold. And then even when I did that, it didn't work. And I actually left the bar, feel, bar feeling less beautiful than I was coming in. And, and unfortunately, I feel like that feeling gets repeated a fair amount of times in a lot of, I'm gonna say gay spaces. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there are, I mean, there's one, there's one establishment that I also, I guess, won't name because I, I, it's not that anyone who worked there did anything bad and I, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that I, I kind of know the owners and I kind of know the people that work there and it's not, it's not their issue, it's not their issue, it's just not my kind of space um, and it's a space that very much caters to the like very like heteronormative idea of masculinity and is very the the vibe is very broy and the culture is very broy and I just just personally feel very uncomfortable in that space and it is also very white space most of the time and so those things make me uncomfortable and also like no one's checking for me in those spaces I mean right now now I don't care I have a partner but like mm -hmm. at that time um, and so it's just, yeah I mean I think in San Francisco that's my most negative memory that I have right now. Yeah. Um, I don't enjoy going to that place, um, and I won't say anything more about it because I don't want to give it away too much. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important for us to call this out though a little bit. It's not also, the space's name, but this feeling. Yeah, because I think you know, besides the fact that it's mostly I think white people that go there. I mean that part is whatever it is, but that type of establishment. Do I think it shouldn't exist? No. Like some people enjoy the things that happen there. Um, but it just was it's not just my not space. For you. Yeah. 
I'm thinking of a couple situations where this concept of the check-in, you know, like feeling and seeing people get turned and being like, where are your friends? Where's the business? Where's the, like, who, who what's, what's, what's happening here? Yeah. Um, I get really triggered by that. And mm. then sometimes I end up being a little, a little over, overly protective and end up spending a night talking somebody down from a moment or getting somebody water all night, mm. which is, I'm totally up to do most of the time, but when you're not, and then there's nobody else there to do it, yeah. you have to ask yourself like, what's, what, what collapsed here? Yeah. Like what didn't come through? I think we forget that it's, it's, I feel like maybe, I don't want to speak too much from personal experience, but I have felt my greatest joy, my greatest sadness in queer spaces, you know? I felt like built up the most and mm -hmm. also broken down the most in the spaces that we call home. And I just wonder what it is about those spaces that do that for us. And part of me thinks is that like, oh, yeah, what do you guys think? Well, I think it's, be I mean, when we think about, well, when you think about queer spaces, I'm assuming you are excited to go there because you feel like it's a place where you're going to feel safe. And then when you don't feel safe or it doesn't meet those expectations, you know, it's a big letdown. Yeah. Um, we expect, I think, in other spaces to be attacked or to be judged or to feel like we have to perform in a certain way. And when we go to a space where we feel like we can be ourselves and then our, that, that assumption is then thrown out the window, that right. is very hurtful because right. we are vulnerable in that moment. And then it's like, well, if I'm not going to be happy here, I'm not going to be happy in the marina, that's for damn sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that speaks to our, I'll speak for myself, my search for connection, you know? And it is, it can be debilitating to be in that place where you're like, wow, this is happening to me here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's go to the future. So that was, a, that was a purposeful setup. And also, audience, if you have a dark moment that you want to share, if you feel like publicly sharing it, you can do it now. But please don't name the bar, because we don't want to shade particular spaces out. What does the queer space of the future look like? How do you feel like it's going to nurture us? And I'm going to prelude this by saying, I'm going to then ask you how we can create it. Like, what is our plan? I told Grace, I want this to be a strategy session, and we still have 20 <laughs> minutes left. So I'm going to take our 20 minutes, and I want to talk about what the future queer space looks like and how we're going to create it. Before we do that, though, I think we have another audience question that I'm going to read before I ask. Um, why don't, we're going to ask this question, Sin, Sin, love that. I want to get to this question, and then afterwards I want to get to this question, okay? So, good question, but let's go to this right now. What does the future queer gathering space look like, and how will it build our community up and nurture us? And I chose both of you for a reason, because you're building these spaces, and I believe, I really do believe, that those spaces will be built by the two of you. I do. I mean, I think, I think it's hard to answer that question because we are in such an uncertain time right now. Um, with COVID-19, I mean, especially in San Francisco where, again, the rents are so high. Like, are we ta when we're talking about spaces, I, I do think that we will see an expansion of digital spaces for queer people. 
and the pro continued production. I don't think that the digital drag show is going anywhere. I think that will continue to happen. Um, I think that in terms of physical spaces, I think that a lot of it is going to be um, have to be more collective. I think it's going to. I don't think that queers in the way that I define it, which is not necessarily like wealthy gays, yeah. um, is people are going to have to come together and like really pull resources in order to continue to occupy space in this city. Mm. Um, and I think that there is going to have to also be a push for. Um, maybe not the government, but maybe a nonprofit or some other, some other like, I'm trying to figure out a way to frame this, but some, there needs to be an intervention <laughs> because <laughs> real estate is too expensive. And whether that means that, you know, the city is yeah. literally investing in space in order to protect um, the cultural diversity of this, of this city, yeah. um, of this community. Um, if it's investing in spaces that can be shared by communities and neighborhoods in a way that is reflective of the people that live there and have lived there and have contributed to the area. It, I, I think that cultural districts can, are ha, like have the opportunity to play such an important role in really prioritizing space and also occupying space and helping to build and support businesses. And for the queer and trans cultural districts, that means queer and trans businesses and spaces. Um, but I think, I think right now, as we are sort of at the peak of uncertainty around COVID-19, are we going to have another resurgence? What is this going to look like for spaces in the future? Um, I think it's really hard to, I think, picture it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, to gauge what the next steps will be or need to be is, is such, a, such a limbo space to be in. Um, one thing that comes to mind is just the immediacy of how we can expand and start small. One of the things uh, that's been really uh, on my mind and within my close friendships is you know, how can we expand our social pods that then we can create templates for and say like, oh, hey, maybe we've, we're doing this and we're going to the park and we're gonna have a picnic or we're gonna go on a bike ride. I mean, I have friends that are doing really wonderful trial and error situations for social gatherings that aren't necessarily at venues, but are that are continuing to creatively find ways to stay connected, uh, whether it be a bike ride with uh, uh, um, a speaker system that does uh, performances on the street or has a stop where you do a dance party or a movie outside in the park or, um, yeah, I think that it's quite unclear. Um, and also, I, I think about what has worked that we can then move forward and hold on to so that there is this, again, like there's a lot happening within San Francisco that is keeping spaces from thriving and or even opening or so, I mean, there, it's a very layered. Yeah. So what has worked that you want to bring into the future? Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the things that comes to mind is those, those, those peak moments of inclusivity and diversity. Yeah. That's really, I think, important to what I feel and think of as thriving. Yeah. Um, and that's something we can teach the world, too. I mean, think about it. Like, what brings everyone in this room together even though we come from such different backgrounds and life experiences, is that queer identity, right? That is something that the three of us, with such different life experiences, that is a bonding thing between us. And so when we inhabit a physical space together, 
a queer space, we're now teaching the world how you can create that connection amongst people that have a lot of differences in other ways, you know? And if we can create queer spaces that really lean into that inclusivity or build on that, I feel like it could, and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, it could solve some of our other issues where people just need to understand that difference better and interact with that difference. Mm -hmm. That's why I think uh, the, this conversation about safe space, I think that safe space somewhat diminishes this idea for difference, right? And that this concept of brave space came, comes to me where it's like, okay, there are differences and how do we move beyond them? Yeah. Where do you think the political interacts with the future queer gathering space? I hate to well, bring... Well, I think the word queer is very political. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the notion of existence is resistance is just so present. You know? Yeah. Like, is existence still resistance? For me, it is. If you're queer and out and looking the way that we do is fabulously on the street, where, yeah. I mean, I can't... I don't feel comfortable walking in the streets and being in my full empowered goddess moment yeah. back home, for example. Yeah. Like, I absolutely feel like that's a moment of resistance for me. So how does that work when certain aspects of the, certain slices of the queer community, their existence is not resistance, right? Let's just, like a, a white, a cisgendered white gay man in a finance job wearing a three-piece suit in, fi in the financial district with big muscles, his existence maybe from the outward look is not resistance. He feels comfortable being his full self out there on the street and, and you don't, but we're, you're both part of the queer community. How do you create a queer gathering space that brings those two people together in the coming years and still makes both people feel at home? Can you? Yeah, you can. How? I mean, I think that there has to be a level of humility from people who enjoy uh, a certain level of privilege and I don't use privilege as a dirty word. I think that I have privilege. Like I think that we all have a certain level of privilege. And it's on, I think that we as a community need to acknowledge that and also not run away from that, but f figure out how we can use that privilege to further the cause and further our community and make the world a better place. Like I think that, and, and in that, like in creating a space that is both welcoming of trans women of color and cis white gay men, um, I think that there needs to be an acknowledgement that yes, cis white gay men come to the table with a certain type of privilege that needs to be checked at the door in terms of their expectations, but also that they should be committing yeah. their time outside of those spaces and they're using that privilege to, on behalf of the people that they're in community with. Like, you can be cis, white, and rich and in the same space with me and be in my community, but only if you are also part of my community when you leave that space. Mm -hmm. Does the space play a role in engaging that person in that politics? I think the space is the beginning of the conversation. I think that the space is the place where people can be engaged and can start making the connections about like, well, I enjoy seeing this person on stage and wow, it really sucks that they have such a horrible experience of the world, which is to totally foreign to me. Like, what can I do to help? Yeah. I think it's a, it's a touch point and it's also, it's, it can also be a space where people are called out because if you're, if you're constantly coming to the club to hang out with the girls, but then you don't say anything about the girls being murdered on a daily basis, then you're gonna get called out and thank God for social media for providing yeah. that opportunity. Yeah. Um, 
and you should be. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah. you're welcome in those space as long as you know how to be an ally and yeah. what that really means. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the space is a portal, right? A portal yeah. for those conversations. Like I really Stargate do. SG-1. I totally step into it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I also feel similarly, like, I, 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 I have a very complex time the, with these conversations of hierarchy of oppression and hierarchy. And it's very real and it's very relevant and present. And at the same time, I find my my work most efficient when I when I find what brings us together rather than what sets us apart. Mm. And you do that so well with your work. I mean, I remember. I mean, I'm an early sleeper, so I, it was hard. Sometimes it was hard for me to go to Dick at night. Mm. But when I felt courageous enough and willing to be up past 11 on a Wednesday, I would go. <laughs> and what I loved about Dick at night was that it, everyone you you did a lot of baby drag and you allowed people to be to experience drag for the first time in a professional way, right? It was legit, but you gave people their first entrance, their first portal into this world, um, and it was so beautiful. I mean, I know drag queens that were built because of you, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's been part of my journey. You know, I've, I've gone through that moment where I recognize the power that happens when I'm on stage and then somehow through the magic of drag, I take that onto the street yeah. and then I take that onto this conversation. You yeah. know, like these are portals to be used and that's where, you know, you, you think about um, how these spaces are political, but I think about the people within the spaces yeah. and how if we're living our truth, and we're mentoring the the folks that are coming in or being mentored by our elders. I mean, that's where it, it all becomes this really beautiful um, melting experience, right? So the that, queer gathering space of the future, in your mind, the ideal queer gathering space is a really powerful and really big portal that can bring all those people together and really connect them. Is that... Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm, what I'm sensing from you two? I want to know what it looks and feels like. I want to know how it, how it might be different than the queer space we have of today. What about the idea of sexual identity becoming more fluid? And, you know, there are certain, quote-unquote, progressive cities around the world that don't even have gay bars anymore because they, quote-unquote, don't need them, right? And everyone's okay, and you can go to a, quote-unquote, straight bar, and you can pick up a guy or a girl or a trans woman, and it's not necessarily or a trans man or someone who's bisexual, and it's, everyone's together, and so we don't need, quote-unquote, queer spaces anymore. Like, where do you see that fitting into all this? Well, I think that there might be a redefinition of what it means to be queer. Yeah. Um, you know, again, like, I do think that there's a difference between a gay bar and a queer bar. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it would be important. I, there are straight people. I take my straight friends and especially be partners of my straight women friends to the powerhouse all the time. Yeah. I'm like, can you hang? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I do think that there are certain spaces that are always going to be queer and that they're always going to push the boundaries. And, you know, there are... Like, the powerhouse is a great example. Like, I don't know that, like, most straight couples are just going to want to go to the powerhouse on a date. Like, that is a very, it's actually very gay male-centered. Um, it is welcoming of other, you know, genders, and but it, it, it is a very specific space. And I think that there will continue to be a need for that kind of a space. Um, I, yeah, I, 
I don't think that there's anything wrong with inter what is that intersexuality I don't know intersexuality is that sexuality a thing? Diver, sexually yeah. diverse spaces yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't even know what to call them but you know just a bar a bar yeah. where pe where people can be queer and, and and gay and 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 cis and straight and hit on each other um, that's yeah. fine but yeah. I think there will always be need for a queer space yeah similarly I feel the most free when I can off the cuff know that there's synchronicity, there's relevance in our experience, there's a shared something. Yeah. And um, I, al I also, I mean, I, I intentionally go to those places for that, mm -hmm. so. Will you two commit to creating those spaces? Will I commit continue to continue? continue? Sign, sign where? Yeah. Sign, well, Wait, there's, a contract. there's a contract waiting for you on the way out. <laughs> I want to know if you'll commit here on these cameras in front of the people who are watching, the millions of people watching, <laughs> that you'll be part of creating these queer spaces for the future. Absolutely. Um, I actually, though, wanted to, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt any sort of, do you also want to agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, well, I'm, I'm thinking we're like, this? we're already doing yeah, this. Right. Yeah, right. Like, we're want, already I doing this. Sure but, we but we want it on camera. Right. <laughs> it's on camera. It's recorded for the well, ages. We're, we're doing it. Um, yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, it's, this, it's kind of like going to church, right? I mean, for a lot of people. Blessed this be. is like queer church. Blessed be. Um, and. Do you say blessed be? Blessed yeah. Blessed be. Yes. Um, and it. I think even if we are in a like a multi-denominational society or a loosely religious society or people aren't really as engaged anymore, there's always kind of use for a church. Like there's key things that we want to go and do there and worship and be in community. And I think that the same thing is for the queer community. Like we need our queer spaces to continue to be a place that we can go to when we need them. We might not need them all the time, but we do need them. All right, I'm gonna try to get two more questions in and we have about five minutes left, if I'm correct. So I wanna honor Sin's question, which is a great question. Sin Wang, someone who's very close to me as well, and I love her. She asks, would, would love to hear your top policy ideas for ways the city can help rebuild queer spaces and recover. Um, but also, I wanna expand that question. How could the average person be a part of that recovery and rebuilding process, right? There's a city thing, so there's a city angle. Obviously, you are an official yeah. of the city. But also, like, how can the city slash the community be a part of rebuilding and recovering these queer spaces? In two minutes, because yeah. I have one more question. I think that the city definitely needs to, I mean, we're in a deficit right yeah. now, so it's going to be hard. Um, ideally, we would figure out, I mean, you know, there's a CEO tax that is hopefully going to be on the ballot that will, um, that will tax, um, C well, it's not CEO tax anymore, but basically any executive that makes hundred times more than its average employee will be taxed and that could generate millions of dollars for the city and I think that some of that some of that funding should be going towards supporting small businesses and especially um, minority businesses and businesses that contribute to the cultural diversity and richness of our city um, so the CEO tax I think can be part of that solution um, I think that there are other like the legacy business um, fund is another thing that I think that needs to be expanded upon. Right now it's really, really limited in the amount, I think that there's like $2 million in that fund right now yeah. for like the thousands of uh, legacy businesses that are around, it's not enough. Right. We need to expand that. Right. What do you think, Grace? I love this idea of the legacy um, kind of establishment being uh, evolved. I think that's a really 
prominent way of bringing both the community and the city together to really understand what it's like to hold space. Um, I love this idea that they brought up earlier about having investors that are community focused um, to, to create this kind of pot that supports business as well. Um, yeah, I would say that there's a lot of possibilities there that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, what are your ideas, folks who are tuning in and watching right now? How can you be a part of recovering and rebuilding uh, queer spaces for the future? Um, last question. I also wanted to mention before Please. you go into that, I yeah. think that the district a situation that you mentioned earlier as well really creates kind of similarly uh, a dynamic that promotes, nurtures, builds the systems so that people can then come in and support. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The cultural districts, the legacy business program, which the Small Business Commission um, can, you know, doles out and I agree with you, I think we need to expand it, double, triple, quadruple it for sure. Mm -hmm. It's 2050. It's 2050. You're walking down Castro Street. What does it look like? What's happening on Castro Street in 2050? What's going on inside? What's happening on the street? What's happening on the corner of 18th and Castro? This is such a heavy question, and we have two minutes to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> we had one hour to fit this whole conversation. You got to keep the people wanting more. What's going to happen? What's it look like? Well, there will still be a gay flag there. Um, hopefully, it will be a more inclusive gay flag with, like, you know, the trans flag and the uh, brown and black stripes uh, interwoven there. Um, and, you know, I, I hope to continue. My hope is that in 2050 that we will see every single storefront in the Castro, on Castro Street, filled with bi queer businesses that are also queer owned businesses. Yeah, I love that. And yes, and, the, and yes, and you and I, and the three of us, we need to make that happen, you know? We forget that it's on our shoulders. Your yeah, side. and to be more specific, I'm seeing a lot more expansion in the types of businesses. I want to see community centers. I want to see creative um, adventures. I want to see, yes, bars, yes, restaurants, but really building an experience for, for folks that is really multidimensional and more queer people living in the Castro. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's by far what I feel I see the most um, being left out right now. Like, yes to all the businesses, yes to all the culture, yes to all the, but like people living in the Castro that are queer. And non-rich. Exactly. So an e socioeconomically diverse community of mm -hmm. people living there, a new flag, new businesses, queer owned businesses, different types of businesses, a real patchwork and a real community that brings everyone together. And to uh, highlight beautiful days and sunny outside experiences, back to the beautiful festivals that used to happen in the Castro. Yeah, yeah. Halloween. That, were, that felt safe and yeah. felt Pink inclusive Saturday. and felt, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, all of that. Well, we're going to end this episode with that radical imagination exercise. And that's 30 years from now. It's 2020 and 2050 is 30 years from now. And I hope that the three of us can come back together in 30 years, in 2050, in maybe in this room, my lease doesn't last that long, but in some room, <laughs> and see if we were able to do it. Because you two are leaders in our community. Honey Mahogany, Grace Towers, 
to denizens of San Francisco queer life, as it was put. Uh, thank you two so much for being here tonight. And thank you to all of you for tuning into this conversation. I feel like we could keep talking for hours, but we probably shouldn't because we have a lot of wine here. Um, <laughs> the next piece is your piece. Uh, Maddie's Live is not just about listening, but it's also about talking. And so the next portion is called The Break Room. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash Manny's Break Room, and it's right underneath me, underneath my armpit stains, oh my god. So <laughs> underneath here, <laughs> that's embarrassing, tinyurl.com slash Manny's Break Room, you will go to a Zoom. Why didn't y'all tell me I was sweating so much? Come on now, I'm half Afghan. You gotta protect me. tinyurl.com slash Manny's Break Room. Um, you will all be entered into break rooms of four or five, and we're going to talk about tonight's conversation. I'm so embarrassed. Tonight's conversation, um, where you all can speak amongst each other. I think maybe Honey Mahogany and Grace Towers will be able to join us at least for a couple minutes to talk about it. So please go to tinyurl.com slash Manny's Break Room uh, to continue the conversation. And remember, if you haven't joined the break room, you've only seen half of the episode. <laughs> all right, thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great night, and we'll see you in the break room. <laughs>